So Philippians chapter 4, and I've titled tonight, Are You Happy? And Others Know It. You remember the song, if you were a young child growing up in church, it was, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> well, tonight I'm asking, are you happy and others know it? Can others see the happiness, the goodness of the Lord on you? Can others see that you are content and happy in the Lord? So reading from chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 10 to 23, it starts like this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, yeah, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we recognize a few verses immediately as we start off reading this. Rejoice in the Lord greatly. We recognize the verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We recognize the verse, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And automatically we think we know where we're going in the text. We think we know what direction we're going, and uh, you can't be very right. But he opens, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He is very thankful for these Philippians because now they were beginning to give to him. When we look at the very first chapters, uh, the very first chapter, the opening of the letter, uh, verse 5, he said, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he was expressing deep joy for them at that time because they were taking care of his needs. They were thinking of him. And he is once again in that place of saying thanks to them because there's been a period of something like 10 years in which they haven't been able to support them. Support him and he is thankful to them because he says you were always generous towards me you always supported me you supported me with your financial gifts 
And so now I am rejoicing in the Lord greatly that now you're re you've been revived in that area. But what is he saying when he says you've been revived? It's a Greek word meaning anatheo, that for revived meaning to shoot up, to sprout up. It's referring to a plant that is flourishing again. Perhaps some of us know of our plants in our backyard, our trees that are reviving. So I had my fig tree in the house all winter. She's gone outside. She, I don't know, I say she because she bears fruit, called figs. <laughs> and so she's gone outside and now she's acclimating to the outside weather. She was full of leaves and as she's acclimating to this outside weather, some of her, le her leaves are beginning to fall dry. Uh, they, they weren't ready for the sun even though I was carefully measuring the temperature to put her out. And some new leaves are coming forward. She's flourishing. She's acclimating into that, that environment that she is in. And she's bringing forth new leaves. And I can see what seems to be some other buds coming that several months down the road, maybe into July and August, we'll see some figs. And they will grow. And so when Paul is saying that they've been revived, he's referring in this way, anatheo, meaning that they are beginning to shoot up, to, to flourish again. And so what he's actually saying is he's speaking into the area that I'm not just happy that you're giving to me. I'm happy that your life is being blessed, that you are being able to give. I am happy that your life is flourishing and that you are able to, to give. In John, 1 John 3.18, it says, Little children, let us not only love in word, but in deed. They were loving him and supporting him, but now they were also supporting him with their finan financial blessings. And Paul is not saying to them, What took you so long? You've been enjoying the blessing of me, of uh, me giving you a letter, me encouraging you in the Lord, and now only now you're giving. That is not what actually he is saying. The Philippians loved him, but at the one point when they were going through a rough spot, they weren't able to express that love and support also financially. And Paul's saying, wow, I am so blessed that you are flourishing now in the Lord, that you're even able to give fin financially. He, you're loving not only in word. You're not speaking of your support towards me in just your words, but you're speaking of it within your giving. He's happy that they're flourishing in the way that God is blessing them. But here, what we're missing is we hear that and we go, oh yeah, another, another lesson or Bible study on giving. That's not even the case. Paul is in jail. He is chained to a Roman guard day and night. He is suffering. He is en route to be executed, if you've been tracking with us from the beginning. En route to be executed. And he said, I rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm sorry. How many of you, the last time you felt chained or bound, were able to say, I'm rejoicing in the Lord? You know, our chains today look just a little bit different. You know, they, they could be discouragement, chains of discouragement, chains of tiredness, chains of frustration, 
When was the last time you were chained and you said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly? That's, a, that's a, an exuberant rejoicing. The last time I woke up tired, I did not start the day saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I should have, but I didn't. And that's most of us. And this is where Paul is at. He is rejoicing in the Lord greatly, though he is in this place of being in chains, though he is facing this execution, though words, though there's been persecution against him, he is rejoicing in God. He's rejoicing not because they are giving to him. Contrary to what we might think we are reading, he is rejoicing in the blessings of God that is being bestowed on him. He is rejoicing in what God is doing for them. He's happy to see them blessed. And that is so countercultural to us in North America. When somebody starts to be blessed, they get a nice house or they get a nice car. Well, who do they think they are? Somebody dresses nice, well, that guy just thinks he, or that lady just thinks she, and we criticize or we judge. And Paul is saying, I am so happy to see the blessings of the Lord upon your life. I'm so happy to see that you are flourishing, so much so that you're even able to give. He's happy. Sometimes we say, well, how did they get that position in the job? Well, how did they get that advancement? Oh, they think they're all kinds of special because they have dot, da, dot, da, da. You can fill in the blanks. Because we've all been there where we've judged somebody else who seems to be excelling, that seems to be doing well. And we find fault in that. And Paul, instead of being of that cultural way of finding fault in somebody, he's genuinely happy for them. He's genuinely encouraged. Are you happy? And are, do others know it? Do others know of your happiness for them? Are you happy in the Lord that you could rejoice along with others when they are doing well in the Lord? What is Paul's secret to this contentment? If you struggle with being happy for others, perhaps if you struggle, the, the, the truth is that you're not happy within yourself. Because 2 Corinthians says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatsoever situation I am in to be content. Excuse me, Philippians. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His contentment is not in their support. He's not content because they have supported him. He's not content because they sent him enough money that, the, that he could be supplied the nourishment or the, or the clothing for that day. He, he's content because he's looking at it from the perspective of God's provision. Okay? He, it, there's a, a word here. Of the, the word content here means this. Otarkis. I think I'm saying that may be right or wrong. Aphrodite, I won't look at you, who speaks Greek. But 
It, it means that um, to be self-sufficient, to be satisfied, to be independent. So now Paul is looking and he's saying, I have learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being satisfied, to, to the ability to be free from the wants or the, the, the needing of wanting. I've learned that secret. And so what is that contentment? Where is that secret found? Can you be content even when you don't seem to have enough? Can you be content when it seems like you don't have enough in your bank account? I heard of a, a fellow friend in ministry, um, and he had shared with my friend, I don't know that I have enough to make it till the end of the month. Two kids. My heart dropped and sank. You know, because he was speaking of out of his need. It's the position of being satisfied within and not needing anything external. Contentment is when we are satisfied in Christ within that the external is not what holds us to a place of that means I'm flourishing, that means I'm blessed, I am content. Contentment is the place of knowing that we have everything we need in Christ, regardless of how externally we may seem poor. Can you find that in your heart tonight? Can you find true contentment in Christ tonight that no matter what it seems like on the outside, you are fully content in Christ? Even if to others you may seem poor? Because in North America, it's not easy to be in that place. It's not easy to be in that place where on the outside, it looks like you don't have anything. But everybody else seems to be going ahead. But true contentment is I am so satisfied in Christ that I know tomorrow when I wake up, my needs will be met. I know tomorrow when, when, I have, when I am in need of this, it will be met. I remember several years ago, I, I had just had had kids, and so, you know, I hadn't done some shopping that was necessary to do after you have kids. You know, everything changes, and styles change, and sizes change. And, and so I was asked to do the youth ministry at the church that I was in, and I was like, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to, you know, dress in a way that's going to be hip with the young people. I can't go there in these maternity clothes there, even though I'm now no longer in the maternity place wearing a large T-shirt to cover, you know, like, Lord, you got to help me. And, and I, you know, obviously we had two little kids, so you don't, the cash flow goes to diapers, right? <laughs> so I, and so I honestly, sincerely prayed, and maybe it seems stupid to share as an illustration, but as truth as it is, it is. I said, Lord, you got to help me to have something so I could look hip to be able to, you know, be relevant to these kids. That's vain, eh? But it's true. I'm just being honest. That's what I prayed. And um, I went out the next day to get some groceries of that, and I came home, and there was a bag on my doorstep. And it was some clothes. It was some pants 
exactly what I I needed, especially some pants, and there was some price tags still on it. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And everything fit because the Lord provided for it, right? And you know what? I was able to go and feel confident in myself. I wasn't this frumpy woman in, in, you know, all these pants that didn't properly fit, you know. I was provided for. Contentment is not a natural disposition. It's not a natural disposition. It's a spiritual position that you have in Christ, knowing that God will in every way and how take care of you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's total confidence in Christ. That he is everything that you need. He is your all in all. So naturally, we're given to complain when circumstances are not what we want them to be. But we could have contentment. And Paul refers to contentment as a secret. I've known the secret. Do you know the secret? What was his secret? It was Christ. It was Christ. He learned through the life of Christ, even though he was not walking with Christ during that time, he knows through the stories. He says this, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He learned that through every circumstance, God's grace was sufficient. In the circumstance and seasons of abundance, God's grace was sufficient. In the seasons of need, God's grace was sufficient. The secret was Christ. In times of hunger, God's grace was sufficient. The secret was Christ. In times of plenty, he saw, God saw him through it all. Now 2 Corinthians Here he is saying, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, and abundance. What did that look like? Did he truly, is he exaggerating? Is he boasting? Not in the least. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And what? He knew the secret to be content. I don't know, but if I was in danger that many times, if I was beaten and stoned, my contentment would not be there. I, I can't say that I would be standing smiling if I had been stoned as many times, if I had faced as much turmoil as he had faced, but he found the secret in being content. And the secret was Christ. It was through these struggles that Paul saw Jesus as his teacher. If Jesus could so journey through what he journeyed, I can too. And that's what you would have to look at tonight. If Jesus 
went through the cross as he went through the cross, I too can go through the hardship that I'm going through. If Paul looked to Jesus as his example and was able to face the hardships that he faced through the example of knowing Christ did it, Christ endured, so can I, then you and I likewise can walk in that same type of contentment. Because he says, I know how to abound. Do you know how to abound? Do you know what that means to abound? In the good times, you're still good. In the bad times, are you still good? That's when your abounding comes. In the plentiful times, you're great. In the lean times, are you still great? That's abounding. You see, David, King David, he's a king. Evidently, he must have had everything that he needed as being a king. Yet in 2 Samuel, we see that he saw a woman and struggled. He saw a woman he fell into, lusting after another man's wife. And it was to his demise. Evidently, he was caught in lust. And as much as he had everything, he in the moment, didn't see that he had enough. He wanted something else. And we have to guard ourselves because God provides for us according to our need, but guard yourself from seeing somebody else's plenty, somebody else's blessing, somebody else's beauty. Guard yourself from seeing that and lusting after it that you want to lay hold of it. Learn the principle of contentment. Paul knew how to not allow the abundance or the lack to affect how he stood in the Lord. He didn't allow it to shake him. He didn't allow the abundance to cause him to be proud. And he didn't allow the lack to cause him to lose focus of Christ. He abounded. Can you abound today? Can you abound today to know that he is there for you? Why? Because verse 13, he knew his source of strength. The only way you and I will be ever able to abound is knowing where your strength comes from. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure the days when leanness is there. I can endure the, I could enjoy the plenty and know that I'm not going to be seeking after the more. I could endure all things. I could do all things. And some people take this verse and maybe misunderstand it, quoted only in in hours of need. I'm sick and, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my sick bed and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's a vitamin tonic through the word of God that we could take every day. Lord, whatever this day has before me, I could do it through you who gives me the strength. Strength is something that empowers you. So if you need wisdom for the day, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens, who empowers me. If you're needing wisdom for the right decisions, if you are feeling tired, you can go through Christ to be empowered. You can go through Christ to be strengthened. So each day you can quote this verse like Paul and be content in what that day unfolds because why? You are using the vitamin tonic of the word of God to empower and strengthen you to do what needs to be done that day. Not in your own resources. Not because you have all the intellect to do that job just precisely so. But because you have God as your strength and your source. Paul is saying, whether I'm lacking or whether I'm in need, through Christ I can do it. When I'm in abundance, through Christ I can do it. I know exactly how to live in abundance without becoming proudful. And I know exactly how to be in lack without becoming resentful. Because through Christ, I could do it. Paul knew firsthand what it was like to be content and fully rely on the strength of Christ. In John 15, we heard Jesus telling his disciples that he was the true vine and his father was the vine dresser and apart from what? Him, we can do nothing. Everything that we are able to do, everything that we put our hands to do is through the empowerment of Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. In Ephesians 3.16, it says this, According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So if quoting Philippians 4.13 isn't enough to start your day, then why don't you add to it Ephesians 3.16 that, Lord, you know what, court you will grant me the strength with the power of your spirit in my inner being for everything that I have need of for this day. How I could journey through this day. So Paul was able to exhort the Ephesians this way because he knew of the power which can only be found in Christ. And that's how he exhorts us. I am able to abound because why? The power of Christ that is in me. It's not me. That word strength, idinamu, it means the word dynamite. It means to be strong. It means to be increased with force. It means to be empowered. So Paul was empowered. You and I have been increased with the force of Christ within us. We've been made strong. But in case you think he might be bragging about himself, he's not. He's just wanting to make us aware of the secret of our contentment. The secret. Because you know what? We lack the secret. Just do an internal investigation right now. Just look introspective into your own life and see how many times from Sunday to now when our week started, how often you were content. I don't want to look. Verse 14. 
He says, yet it was kind of you to share. He wants to make sure that in everything that I just said to you, I am rejoicing greatly in your giving. I'm rejoicing that God has blessed you again, that now you could give once again. But you know what? I've learned to be content. I've, I've, I've learned to abound with abundance. I've learned to be in lack. But, but you know what? It was nice that you've been able to be able to share in my struggle. I don't want you to think that I'm not appreciative. I don't want you to think that I am bragging. I want you to know it was nice. He desires that. He's not upset either. As I said earlier, he's not saying to them, like, it's about time. I'm glad you're revived in your ability to give. I'm glad that now finally you can give. It's not under that tone either. He says, don't take my sharing heart. Don't take me sharing in my contentment as a heart that's not receiving your blessing. I'm not bragging to you as if to say, meh, I don't need it. Thank you, but yeah, no, thank you. That's not the tone. He's not boasting. He's being encouraged. And he's encouraging, you've done well. You've done well. You're giving. Your, your hearts are giving not to me. They're giving to the kingdom of God. They're giving to the kingdom of God. And God will bless. He reminds them they were the only church. If you look at verses 16 and 17, you were the only church that partnered with me. When I started my ministry, you were the only church that believed in me. You were the only church that believed that what I had to say. You, you allowed me in, in with the wetness of, with, with wet ears. You know, oh, he's still wet behind his ears. You allowed me to learn and to, to deliver with you. You believed in me and you supported me. Verses 16 and 17, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You know what he's saying here? The fruit that increases to your credit, not because I need you to give to me, not because I need your money to, to supply for my need. I remember I'm content, but you know what? The fruit that's going to come to you for sowing into it, despite the fact that he's not in need, Paul's appreciative to them. He's appreciative for their gesture of support, for their love towards the ministry of God, for their love towards the gospel going forward. From the first time when he started ministering, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We toiled. We worked night and day. And in other words, as they gave to him, he included them in the ministry that he was doing. He could not have done what he was recognizing, that it was a partnership. They were giving and he was preaching. They were giving and he was delivering the word. He was bringing it forth. Second Thessalonians 3, 7 to 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. 
nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. You've learned to give because you saw us not want to be a burden to you. You saw us labor in the kingdom of God and still toil in our own jobs so that we would not be that burden. It's not the give in Paul's hands that has brought him joy, the gift in his hand that brought him joy. It's not their money that brought him joy. It's not their support in that of contentment. It's the fact that they're giving hearts. They have giving hearts. And behind that giving heart is that these people were investing in the gospel of the kingdom of God. They weren't saying we're giving this money to Paul. We're giving this money to the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God may go forward and that the kingdom of God would see increase. Paul is teaching us here the, the principle of giving. In this essence of what he's saying to these Philippians, he's saying, you know, because you have given, because you have sown, God is going to sow back. Some people would say, well, if I had money to give, I would give. Some people would say, well, I, I, I can't afford to give. I'll tell you a secret. You give to God, and he'll take care of everything else. It's not that you're going to see all thousands or hundreds of thousands, perhaps, in the bank account. But you know what? He's in debt to no one. He will take care of you. He will supply for you. He will provide for you. Why? Because that's the God we serve. He, no one can outgive God. No one can outgive God. Luke 6 and 38 says, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Give to God. Give to God, and he will give back to you. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, the, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Give and God is going to give to you. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Have you been in lack? Test it. Try him. Prove him. And he'll pour, he'll he'll pour open his from his heavens. We want to keep a clear perspective that the blessings of the Lord is to the discretion of the Lord. I don't give $10 so God can give me 20. I don't give 100 so he can give me 200. I give to the Lord out of the abundance of what he gave me for him to bless me out of his discretion. So in some cases, the blessing may be money-wise because he knows what lies ahead that that money's going to need to go to. And other times, like I said, it was pear pants dropped off on the doorstep by some who knows. I didn't tell anybody that need. I told God. So somebody knew. God knew. And he put it on somebody's heart. He does not shortchange us. The blessing is to his discretion. What? 
How? To give bountifully to all. What is your need? Could be always food on the table. Could be health. Could be strength. Could be gas in your car. He will provide. He will choose to bless you above and beyond. Everybody puts the value at the dollar level, but God puts it above and beyond that. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he's, he's rejoicing with these Philippians because they're gaining spiritual rewards. They're gaining spiritual rewards in heaven. Their generosity, their uh, their generous hearts, uh, it's not just for a material benefit, but there is a spiritual reward in heaven that one day they will see. When you're sowing into the kingdom of God, it's not just for what you're going to see tangibly here on earth, but one day you will stand before the Lord and he, he, you will see every prayer that you sowed. Every offering that you gave, every smile that you extended, every hug that you offered, everything that you had given of from your resources, whether those would be monetary or physically, whatever they would be, you would see the reward in heaven because we're redeemed by God's grace. We do everything for whose glory? For yours and mine? For his glory. So even when we're generous towards one another, offering someone a ride home, offering somebody, it just just comes upon your heart to bless somebody in a certain way. And you do it. And how does the reward come back to you? Maybe you wouldn't see it on earth, but on one day you will stand before the Lord and your eyes will be opened as to how far that blessing went. how far that blessing went. You shared with one person the gospel on the bus, and you never saw that person again, but that person went home, and their life was changed. And as a result of their life being changed, many others came into the kingdom of God, but you just shared with one. You gave into an offering, Oh, it could have been your your last $5, but you gave into an offering, and the Lord extended. The Lord gave into you. I remember one time we were at um, a service, and uh, my husband had been laid off, and there was a man standing next to him that needed a job. And so this minister that was at this service was encouraging people to sow according to their need. And this guy really wanted to get a job. And so my husband gave of his $5. Wasn't much, eh? But when you're laid off, $5 could feel like a lot. He was called back to work and the other man got a job. It was only $5. Felt like a lot. You don't know what your sowing does. And Paul is saying, I rejoice greatly because now you've been revived. Now you're re- flourishing. Now you know what? You, you went through some lean times in which you couldn't give and you couldn't support, but now you've been revived once again to be able to give. 
Paul called their gift a fragrant offering. You know when you are pouring out from your life, it is a fragrant offering to Christ. See, in the Old Testament, that's what they used to do. They used to offer an animal to a sacrifice. And that, uh, that animal was brought before the priest. The priest would make the offering, whether it be animal or food. He would make the offering in the temple. He would burn it before the Lord, and it would come as a sweet aroma to God. When you are giving from your life, it comes as a sweet aroma to God. Have you ever walked by somebody who has a pleasant-smelling perfume or cologne on, and you're like, hmm. And you want to say, what is that smell? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you a true story. One time I went into the sanctuary in our old church. You know the church, Park Road. And they had been praying all morning because they would often pray from 9 till noon. It started 9 to 11. It lingered till noon many a times. So this one day... I went into the sanctuary, and I was just putting, I think it was the song sheets maybe for that night I had to pull out for the service, and, and I was putting it on the front pew. Remember when you guys used to line it up on the front pew? And then we put it on an overhead. That's how old, long ago this story is. But as I walked into the sanctuary, there was a pleasant smell. I says, oh, somebody must have put a plug-ins in. Remember those things you plug into the wall to make the room smell good? I looked in every plug-in. There wasn't a plug-in anywhere. And I kept smelling this beautiful fragrance was similar to a rose, but not yet a rose. And I went back in my office and I said, Lord, what was that beautiful smell? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the, the scripture came to me. He's the rose of Sharon. And I thought, Lord, your presence was in the place. It was still lingering. It doesn't leave. Why the offering of worship and prayer was being made. Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice, right? That we don't have to give as they did in the Old Testament times, offering animals to sacrifice, bringing a food offering to the temple. Now we could give as he give, gave. He gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice. And now we extend from ourselves. Romans 12 and 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. As your form of worship. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. When you share of what you have, it's aroma to God. That's my child just walked by. Ephesians 5 and 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And so verse 19, he says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He closes the letter. My God will supply every need. I am so thankful that you gave. I am imprisoned. I'm waiting to be executed. The Roman soldier is standing here. I am in chains, but I am so thankful. I rejoice greatly. And you know what? I rejoice because God is blessing you, not for what you're giving to me. Tomorrow I could be dead, but I rejoice because God is blessing you. 
And I rejoice that you're investing into the kingdom of God out of the blessings that he has given to you. And you know what? I know that even now as you give into the kingdom of God, my God will supply every need physically, emotionally, spiritually. He will supply. Essentially, Paul was saying this. You have helped me, but my God shall supply you. You have helped me in one of my needs, my need for clothing and of food. I have other needs in which you could not help, but my God shall supply all of your needs. You have helped me, some of you, out of your deep poverty, giving, of your own, out, giving out of your lack, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. You gave in your lack, he will supply out of his riches. Because that is God. All your needs doesn't necessarily mean that money. But it does mean that he will, out of his bountiful blessing, pour into you. And so Paul closes. And he says, it, it reminds me, actually, this, this part of all your need, it reminds me of the story of... of um, uh, from Second Kings, when the woman had nothing left, and uh, the Lord uh, Elijah, Elijah went and, and said, Elisha went and said, "You know what? Pour, get some jars and, and pour out of the vessels." And as long as she was pouring, as long as she was pouring, as long as she was pouring out, there was oil to be poured out. All your need, as long as you're pouring out, all your need will be supplied. As long as you're pouring out. All your need is going to be supplied. And today you could be pouring out in an offering, a, a, a monetary offering. To, tomorrow you could be pouring out in love. Another day you could be pouring out in a meal. Another day you could be pouring out in support. You're, as long as you are pouring out, all your need would be supplied because that's the example of Second Kings 4. It boils down, given it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And so he closes with a statement of praise. To our God and Father, glory forever and ever. The only proper response would be what? To our God and Father, be all the glory forever and ever. And our response would be, amen. Amen. That's how he closes the letter. So what did we see in the letter? This is to end it all. Why does Paul specifically mention the Father as he wraps up this letter? letter? <laughs> because our Father, God, he is the giver of grace, Philippians 1 and 2. He is the giver of grace. Why? Because Father God is the worker of our salvations, Philippians 1 and 6. Why? Because F Father God is the exalter of Christ, Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11. Remember that beautiful hymn we saw in Philippians chapter 2? Why? Because Father God is the conformer of Christ's likeness in us. As we go to him, he conforms Christ's likeness in us. Why? Because he's the father of all believers, Philippians 2.15. Why? Because he's the revealer of truth, Philippians 3.15. Father God is the revealer of truth. Why? Because he's the giver of peace, Philippians 4.7-9. And he is the one, Father God, who supplies all our needs. And so he ends the letter to our God and Father be glory forever and ever.
because Father God was throughout the whole letter from Philippians 1 to 4. Amen? Are you happy? And do others see it? Are you content? Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this wonderful letter that was inspired of Paul to write. And Lord, may we forever remember to be content in whatever state we are in. May we abound in your grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, for those that have joined us online, Pastor Dino will be on tomorrow morning with our morning devotions and we encourage you to join us here Sunday morning as the Israel team shares from their trip to Israel and the great time that they had. God bless you and be with you. We'll see you soon. So we'll progress into our time of prayer and uh, believe God for the many needs of the house. Some have come home from the Israel trip feeling unwell, so we'll just pray God strengthen them as they are recovering either by means, some of them it could be jet lag, some of them feeling 